Grace to you and peace from God our Father and his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please have a seat. <coughs> How about that bulletin cover? <laughs> the devil and Jesus duking it out. I approve, although that is nothing like my mental image of Satan. At a very impressionable young age, my older and cooler sister took me to see The Exorcist. So no matter what artist or scripture or possibly God ever says to me, the devil will always look like Linda Blair about one week into her possession. <laughs> and that is, you know, it's weird when you think about it, how most depictions of the devil in popular imagination are super spooky because the Bible never says anything about the devil being scary looking. Angels, yes, supposedly they're terrifying to behold. But the devil generally comes off more like a really powerful attorney general, you know? <laughs> not somebody you want to mess with, but also not somebody whose head turns all the way around in the creepiest way imaginable. In Luke's gospel, we definitely have more of the attorney general type. I, even uh, my thought was he's sort of the spiritual equivalent of the guy who gives you your road test when you go to get your license if that guy had almost unlimited power and quoted scripture. The devil doesn't accuse Jesus of anything, and the only authority he claims is what God gave him. He just gives Jesus a series of tests, and then when the tests are over, he leaves. At no point do we get the idea that the devil is scaring Jesus. Even the tests themselves aren't very scary. Mostly they're just weird, except for the first one, right? Command this stone to become a loaf of bread. That's about the most normal thing the devil says. Um, Jesus was hungry, and a loaf of bread was the staple of every meal back then, so, okay, right, make yourself some food. That's not scary. It is a little dangerous, because what Satan was suggesting was that Jesus take matters into his own hands. Forget waiting around on God, and instead make things happen. Now, if you look at that in one way, that sounds very sensibly proactive and mature. But remember, this is the devil talking, and the suggestion is actually a test. He wasn't proposing that Jesus do the hard work necessary to make things happen, which really is sensibly proactive and mature. The devil was proposing that Jesus take over God's role. My brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a temptation we all face. It takes persistence and vigilance and spiritual maturity to be able to do the work that God has given us to do and not do the work that God has not given us to do. I have never been given the job of judging the nations or even judging my next door neighbors. That is God's job. And it can be sorely tempting to take that job away from him. Nor is it my job to determine who is worthy of life and who deserves death. That is also God's job. It is not my job to force my will to be done when it contradicts God's will. None of us is God, and when we act like we are, then we are most assuredly failing the devil's test, or as Christians like to call it, we are sinning. The second test in the wilderness is another one that on the surface may not seem terribly relevant to you and me, but just below the surface lies a temptation that's so well known, it's commonplace. The devil offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus will worship him. So 
why would anyone want all the kingdoms of the world? Well, put it this way, why would anyone want to win a billion dollar lottery? Here's a hint, it's not usually so they can run out and do terrible things. I think most people would like piles of wealth so that they can run out and do good things, especially for the people they love. This world can be kind of a scary and unpredictable place, a place that we can easily imagine belongs to the devil. And it seems like a nice, sturdy wall of cash could protect us and protect the ones we love from the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. The temptation for Jesus, which is the temptation for all of us, is to put our trust in that pile of cash, to seek salvation in material wealth. Forget the devil. We are bombarded with that temptation every single day from a thousand different sources that assure us that our money will protect us. Money will bring us safety and security and happiness. It takes unbelievable spiritual strength to resist that temptation. And you have to do it over and over again. We all know this. The third test the devil gives to Jesus is definitely the weirdest. Throw yourself down from this temple and see if angels will catch you. Who, who would do that? Not even my nephew with the world's worst impulse control is going to leap off the top of a temple. That hardly even counts as temptation. It's just a bizarre suggestion. But since the devil is the devil, we have to believe there's something more to it. And I think uh, a Catholic theologian I really like named Monica Helwig uh, has an intriguing answer to what that might be. She argued that what Satan was actually suggesting is that Jesus look for divine intervention without any human conversion. Because conversion, a change of heart followed by a change of life, that's work. You gotta work at it and work at it and work at it. How much easier would it be to just have God swoop in and fix everything without ever having to change or repent or make amends or start anew or do anything? This is a depressingly familiar temptation that often hides itself under the guise of God loves me just the way I am. It goes like this. I don't have to change. God loves me just the way I am. I don't have to go to church. God loves me just the way I am. I don't have to do anything for Lent. God loves me just the way I am. I don't have to pray. I don't have to fast. I don't have to do anything because God loves me just the way I am. To which I say, well, of course God loves you just the way you are. I love my kids just the way they are too. That doesn't mean I don't ever want them to change or grow or get a job. Christian faith is not about smugly relying on our status as God's beloved to procure divine intervention. It's about participating in God's plan for our salvation. Certainly, asking for God's help along the way is our right and our privilege as children of God. We can and we absolutely should ask God for grace and for guidance and for blessings and for healing and for strength. But expecting God to do all the work for us? I mean, that's not faith. That's magical laziness. 
God has given each of us a mission. We have work to do and a kingdom to build, and nobody else can do the things that you, with your unique circumstances and history and skills and passions, can accomplish. Use this season of Lent to figure out or remind yourself what your God-given mission is, and then get cracking at it. It's going to take spiritual strength and courage to accomplish God's will for you and to resist temptations to abandon the mission when it gets tough. This church will help you. God will help you. But you have to do the work, and Lent is a perfect time to start. There are 36 more days. Get to work. <laughs>